This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, back once again with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going? Happy to be here as always, Al. And joining us this week for the first time, I got a list of the many accolades so I want to introduce you right. Host, uh, well, co-host of Wrestling Observer Live, host of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, host of the Big Audio Nightmare, and the voice of the Wrestling News, Mike Sem- Sempervivi. I got everything right but your last name. You know what? That, that's close enough. That That is fine with me. You got all the jobs out of the way, so that's perfect. With with uh, folks like you, and this is also um, the case when we had, um, what's his name? The Podfather. Uh, uh, Conrad? Uh, yes, Conrad. We had Conrad. <laughs> I almost feel bad having <laughs> you on because it's like as if you don't spend enough time in front of a microphone when you got a little time off. Um <laughs> We have you get in front of it again. But thanks so much uh, for, for joining us. We're going to be talking uh, with Mike uh, all things uh, wrestling, as usual. And uh, a big weekend coming off of Backlash in Puerto Rico, uh, a big show for them. You don't usually you know, think of Backlash as a major show, but that's kind of where WWE's these days, that it feels like almost everything they do is, is pretty big time. Um, and speaking of major events, we, you know, Brian, last week we were talking about uh, how the on sale for All In would do, and now we know. We'll talk a bit about that. They they uh, sold a lot of tickets in those first several days, and uh, also some uh, developments with the World Heavyweight Title Tournament and, and everything else. Uh, before all that, want to mention latest issue of Pro Wrestling uh, Illustrated. Mike, I know you're familiar with this one. This is why we ended up having you on the show. You said some really yes. nice stuff about the magazine <laughs> um, and and this cover. And, and uh, I wonder how many people kind of get what we were going for uh, right away. It's a generational thing, but obviously you got it. Hey, that's one of the things that I like about the magazine, what you're doing right now. Again, it's so difficult to actually get a periodical onto the shelves and let alone try to keep it topical enough where people want to go out and buy it when you're dealing with current events. And I think you're doing a great job bridging that gap. And, you know, for somebody like me, Pro Wrestling Illustrated was the official magazine of my childhood. It was the one I liked the most. It was the slickest combined with the most interesting articles and yeah they came from a background of the wrestler and all the other magazines of the westons and everybody else had created before then but it's always been my favorite wrestling magazine and it's the one that has survived and lasted throughout the times here and being able to take what you guys are doing and i'm not blowing smoke i'm serious you know i really honestly believe this what you guys are doing with it right now with reaching back with smolder stuff doing stories that are current yet not, you know, again, in this era where we know what's happening the second after it happens, or at least we think we do with it being on social media, you know, to be able to bridge that gap. To me, it's an impressive thing that you're doing. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. And it's one of the reasons we we wanted to to have you on uh, because I think historically there's sometimes been, I don't know if it's a tension, but, but um, you know, folks in your line of work and in our line of work, uh, People have looked down upon Pro Wrestling Illustrated, certainly, uh, for a number of years. I mean, there's been kind of a snark attached sometimes, like, oh, what are you guys, you know, how, how are you still around and you're irrelevant? And I think not appreciate uh, an appreciation 
for how different the two uh, genres are. And also, I think, acknowledging that we've had to evolve um, uh, as well. So it, it was cool that you got it. Well, and those people make me petty as hell because I can be that way sometimes, you know, it just because that is I came from right before the heavy Internet era. So I read magazines. I watched territorial wrestling. I mean, that's how I got my information. Yeah, I listened to Rich Mancuso's radio show on WFAN with Jody McDonald overnight. And that came after Larry Katz's radio show in Baltimore that I heard. And then Sunday, WIP had one in Philly. So like. There was that stuff, and they'd have on Meltzer or Keller or Steve Beverly or this person or that person, but I was not – I got them, and I tried them, and I went, well, this is interesting. It's not what I wanted actually out of out of you know, wrestling. I was into sports. I was into other things. I was into – wrestling was my release. It was my favorite release in the whole wide world. It was the thing that I was always run back to and would be safe. You know, that's why today, you know, I'm still doing this sort of thing. That's where my passion came from, but I missed that – forum era and you know the lists and the newsletters and when that ascension happened you know i was older i was a little bit older at the time you know so i was you know starting a family i was in you know high school college you know working doing that sort of stuff so as that kind of rose you know i missed all that sort of stuff so i still have that nostalgia and still feel like it can be something that can be useful today and isn't something that should just be discarded but then that gets into a whole thing about, you know, history and how people view it and things like that. And that's safe for me and Solomon to complain about on a version of his show one day. Well, I, I remember I was I was heartbroken at the time about what was like 25 years ago when PWI started to break kayfabe. And, and but I, I understand why it was because of the Internet. You know, you don't want it to become this relic where like. You're, you know, the entire wrestling fandom now understands it on a different level. And you're over here just still, you know, like acting like it's totally real. I get it. But, but a part of me was so heartbroken at the time. But that's part of why that's part of the evolution of the magazine and why and why it's still here. Because if, yeah. it, had, if it hadn't have done that, it wouldn't have survived. And for me, this was always simulated sport. That's why I liked regional titles because i grew up with boxing so the nabf title meant something on the way to the ibf title or the usb title usba title meant something on the way up and i liked weight divisions i liked the separation of male and female heavyweights junior heavyweights because if you can take a story seriously and you make people want to believe in those people you can sell it sure heavyweights like the home run the big hitter is always going to be the big thing but you can have these things now I can't complain about it. I don't whine about it. But we're in an era where I look at this as my art. I look at this as a movie. I look at this as a series of things. I look at this in a bunch of different ways, and that's what fans do now. So you either have to evolve and keep going with it. You can stay bitter about it. And if you're making good money, you know, complaining about the past or wanting to sit in the past, that's cool. But, like, I have to cover this every day. So to want to sit every day and complain about the fact that there's you know, we don't have leather helmets anymore or complain about the fact that the shift is gone. Like you can do that, but like you're really not going to get anywhere and you're not going to really benefit if you want to stay in this and move forward with it. You're not going to get anywhere. It's one of the real challenges for, for us on the magazine side is uh, trying to cater to that uh, sort of uh, wrestling traditionalist who uh, I think maybe still looks for some kayfabe in our magazines. And I think we offer a fair amount of it. Uh, but also we we've had to evolve and, and I've struggled like just um, one thing I've always avoided 
riding is is talking about heel turns and baby face turns and and that that kind of thing you know or even the the the, the terms I, I tried to stay away from in the magazine even though for whatever reason I feel okay you know having a, a different discussions here uh, on the podcast um but but it's it's not you know when when I've been in the magazine long enough that when I started, we very much were still doing, you know, those kayfabe um, um, articles. And it was one of the fun things to look forward to when, when I first got on board. It's style. like, oh, yeah. I, I want to write a story where I'm, you know, where, where you can almost kind of create your own angles and, and stuff like that. And we we very much uh, moved away from that. And only I grew, recently, I grew up on Ricky Steamboat existential crises right? every month in those magazines, <laughs> well, man. I, I got to say one thing about that because I started – just periodically, occasionally contributing to PWI in 2000, and the others too, Wrestler and Inside Wrestling, in 2007, right after I left WWE. Now, and I, at that time, I hadn't been really regularly reading it anymore because I was like ensconced in WWE. I was, I was on the internet and all that. It had been a number of years. So the first few articles I submitted, I remember like Stu, who is so you know, very uh, considerate and very careful and diplomatic because I was writing about like Dr. Sidney M. Basil and I was <laughs> quoting like unnamed sources in the locker room yeah. and talking about like get, creating these fictional anecdotes of what was going on in, in the training camps. And Stu was just like, you know, we don't really, we're kind, we've kind of pulled away from that sort of stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, he was, he was very kind about it. Yeah. And I started to figure it out. But every now and then I'll do something like I did the one that I'm so proud of, where, where, which was the Cody Rhodes trying to like, you know, finish the story I, before that com that that slogan was cool about his you know his dad and the WWE title and all that. I, I loved writing it because I kept it largely in kayfabe, but not to a degree that I thought would insult the reader's intelligence. Like where you could read it both ways if you wanted to. Right. And and I enjoyed writing that so damn much that I actually asked Kevin for permission to post the whole layout online. I, you know, months later, I was like, please, 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 can I do this? And he let me do it. So Yeah, I had kind of a similar moment with, with uh, Stu because it was he was sort of like weaning us off of it. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you know, frankly, the, the, the first several years uh, I was at the magazine, it was nothing like, eh, who do I want to quote? I will quote whoever, you know, Coco Beware or something. Because and, that's what and, we were doing on WWE Magazine. That's that's another reason why like right. I had I had gotten used to that for years. So, yeah. And then at some point I, I, I wrote something and this was probably it's less than 10 years ago. Let's say it's maybe six, seven years ago. And I included somebody, a quote from somebody. And and Stu called kind of called me on. He goes, did you really get this? And I was like, no. <laughs> and, and that was, I think, to me when it was like clear, like, that's over. We're not doing that at all anymore. And um I don't know how much folks realize that now, but but you know all our hot seat interviews. I mean, if you see a quote in our magazine, it's legit. With one exception that I well, I shouldn't even say that, but but I had a little fun in the uh, the current magazine. I did a uh, a feature on Bray Wyatt, and the whole thing was about how the 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 challenge of of Bray Wyatt or the difficulty he has getting over is that the character is so out there, so unbelievable. And I wrapped it up with a quote from. Uh, Sidney Basil, Dr. Basil, uh, talking about what's the quote that I have from him? Uh, e even in the colorful world of wrestling, some characters just don't ring true. So that was uh, 
the fucking <laughs> a little tongue in cheek uh, nod to, to Sidney Basil. But uh, that's where I think like uh, um, and 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 Kevin's been great. I think about sort of like melding the two, and obviously with covers like this, and Kevin's also kind of uh, uh, I think uh, done a great job of opening up the audience um, to to more uh, independent fans yes. who who had a hard time finding uh, uh, the stars uh, that they like anywhere, right? A coverage of them yeah. uh, anywhere. So he's done a really great, and and again with a nod to the history and some fun. Uh, and all that. So, uh, yeah, I think we're in a good place. I appreciate that uh, you appreciate us, uh, Mike, and, and um, uh, your words, again, were, were very much uh, appreciated and very kind. Anyhow, this is the latest issue. It is um, the June 2023 issue. By the time you're you're watching this, listening to this, the uh, the next issue should be available, uh, at least a digital edition. It is our Supercards issue, talking about uh, history. Th that's something that, uh, again, uh, Kevin brought back a few years ago, and we've had uh, a lot of fun with. Uh, WrestleMania coverage will be uh, in there, and a lot more. PWI-online.com, you could uh, download it um, or order a, a print edition. Subscribe either to a digital edition or to the print edition um, and uh, save a lot off the cover price. Uh, again, pwi-online.com. Uh, so uh, let's jump into it, Mike. Before we get into uh, uh, current events, do want to talk a bit about, I guess you already touched on it some, but man, do you have a lot of podcasts going on. I mean, how much of, <laughs> of uh, uh, and, and you guys obviously work together, so, so that's at least one commitment every day, right? Yes. Yeah, that is every single day, no every matter Every night, what. I'd like to add to that. That's, every that, every that night. That is true. Yes. Every, every what night. Is, what is that process? Because, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, there's not that much new in, in wrestling ideas that, that have been taken. And, and this one, as simple as it is, um, is kind of a new idea. And, and it's terrific. I mean, instead of, like, trying to, like, aggregate all your, your news from all these different places, one-stop shop, and, you, and you're kind of up to date every day with what's going on. Yeah, you know, it came, I had the idea because I was always a news radio listener. I was grew up in the D.C. area, so WTOP was a traditional all-news radio station, you know, top of the hour, CBS News, five minutes after the hour, you know, that starts the, the local coverage. You know, sports at the time was, you know, whatever it was, uh, you know, 15 and 30 or whatever it was, and in business, 40 and, and 20 and 40 after or whatever it was, but it just was to me a concept that I thought was needed because every single day there are tons of review shows out there and they're, you know, depending on what you like, they're all good. Whether it be Brian and Dave at the observer, whether it be John and way at post, whether it be voices of wrestling and or on down the line, but it felt like to me, and again, this is probably my age and again, where I grew up and how I grew up where there should just be something where you just get the quick hits of everything that happened, you know, with a, maybe a little bit of detail behind it, but then that's enough to get you going to that, that podcast that you want to listen to. But when you're on your way to school, when you're on your way to work, when you're on the way to dropping the kids off, when you're on the train, you know, what about those people? And I thought that there was a hole to fill there. And what I ended up finding was talking to Brian last about it, then ended up talking to Brian Solomon about it. You know, again, it all helps that we're kind of from the same era and from the same media centers where it was an idea that they had either come, you know, thought about as well in the past or were, were for and throwing Lou Kippelman into that mix and other people, you know, I, I, 
it just was a perfect coming together of people that actually believed in a project that certainly punches a hole through something. I mean, there was a hole to be filled, you know, and we, you know, I think have a notch with that. Again, we're not trying to replace every other podcast that's out there. We're just trying to tell you between five and 15 minutes every day, this is what happened on Raw because you probably fell asleep. This is what happened in a promotion that you may not be sure about. This is, again, the biggest news happening all over the world given to you. And then from there, you can go on to WrestleNomics to find out more about WWE's financials or this or that. And to do all of that, and this is one of the most important things, to do all of that, without rumor or conjecture or any bias of our own thrown into the situation. When we talk about a story, you know, Solomon may not like GCW, you know, but he's going to write it out in this way. You know, I may not like, you know, this particular promotion or this particular person, but when we read the story, it's going to be just what the facts are without any of our our feelings thrown into it. I mean, and I just think that that was something that needed to happen too. Again, not that the podcasts that are, are, are more lengthy have anything wrong with that. Like you're paying to hear Dave give his thoughts and his booking ideas in the moment of it happening. We're not here to do that. You know, we're just here to give you exactly what it is and to keep it moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, no, go Al. I don't want to step on. No, you. go ahead. I, I, obviously both of you can comment on this. Maybe this question is more for you even than, than, than for Mike. And, and that's just, I mean, I obviously come from, from the news business and I know that the, the, the biggest challenge can be editing yourself, right? I mean, when, when you're given a certain amount of space and you've got so much to say, uh, and when you guys are covering a topic as broad as the pro wrestling business and, and everything that entails, uh, you know, Mike touched on, you know, you try to keep it in the five to 15 minute window. How much of a challenge is that? See, I never thought that my limited though it was that my journalism training would actually be of use in wrestling because it's sort of like, you know, what was there have been times like when I worked at WWE and somebody would say something like, well, think back to your journalism classes and everybody would laugh like journalism, like well, this is wrestling, you know, but but it does apply in this case because and I and I've taught journalism. So I'm always thinking in my head of like the stuff that I would teach the students, which is like, you have to boil it down to the most essential, you know, it's the, the old inverted pyramid, pyramid right? Sure, the yeah. most, the most important stuff, the most recent stuff comes first. You know, you don't, sometimes you're writing backwards. Like you have to resist the urge. Like, let's say you're, you're talking about a pay-per-view or something. You got to resist the urge to like describe everything as it happened. That's not what you're doing. You're there to give the people the most essential stuff. And it's like, I take the same attitude. Like if you're like, they always tell you, you're writing a story in the newspaper, right? You have to assume that not everybody's going to read it to the end. In fact, most people aren't. So yep. you, so you top load it. It's the same thing with something like this. The most important stuff comes first and you have to make that judgment call every day in the macrocosm of everything that happened that day. And in the microcosm of like, let's look at raw, like maybe the main event wasn't the most important thing that happened. Like what's the most important development that came out of it. And you got to make these decisions through the day too. Like one of the things that Brian last attached to it as kind of like a slogan, but it's real is no paywall and no, um, no clickbait. Right. So the paywall part is you know, we wanted to make it totally free you know, not letting, not put it behind a paywall, like, like some other news people do, but we wanted to provide that alternative, but also the no clickbait thing. And the reason I bring it up is because I'm sitting there throughout most of the day, weeding through all these aggregate news sites and like looking at 
what's being touted as news. And look, I'll say it. You, you click on most of these things. It ain't news. Like the majority of it isn't. It's just, or it's not the kind of news we go by. Like we're, I'm not looking for stories where it's like, hey, Dax Harwood on his podcast said this about Chris Jericho. Like that's not news. Or, or like somebody, everyone's got a podcast. So there's a million people saying a million things every day. And it's always like, oh, Jacques Rougeau talked about what it was like <laughs> to pretend that he was in jail at SummerSlam yeah. 91. Okay. That's interesting. It's not news. So you, you've got to like really boil it down to the most essential things that go in there. And it's, look at and look it's, at how many things are press releases. And again, right. this is not to demean the the sites that put them up. That's how you get clicks, and and they're they're sent out for you to put them up. You know, I think some sites should do a better job than others in differentiating all that stuff. But that's how it goes. Whatever works for them works for them. But guess what? A lot of that's not news. And again, this is what we're trying to deliver is just straight things that are news and not this person and doing basically free publicity for, that's, you know, yes. promotions as well, too. Because, look, if you announce a big name to be in an event, OK, John Moxley was added to Resurgence. OK, that is news. Now, X, Y and Z wrestler coming over to work, you know, X promotion somewhere that is going to be a highlight on a lot of people's main page, but it's not news. It's, it's not benefiting right. our listener. Right. Like you said, Mike, the thing with the press releases is so true. You have to sometimes like stop and, and make sure that you're not being just used as a publicity right. arm of this wrestling company. Like you have to sit and think like, is this really valuable or not? You know, it, it's a judgment call. And I know like a lot of these calls are subjective <laughs> or maybe some people think that they're more subjective than they are, but there are actually long standing guidelines for these things. It is not just something you pull out of thin air or you just subjectively say. And I think it's one of those things with media literacy getting eroded by the internet and the, and the social media ages that a lot of people maybe don't realize that there are rules that have been followed for like 200 years as to how yeah. you determine what's yeah. news and what's not. Uh, you can people have written books about it, you know? And I, and I give, you know, there are some, Sean Ross Sapp, I think is a great example of somebody that at least was very clear with, this is what my site is. We are going to give you rumors we're going to give you people are talking about this person talking about that person. We're going to give you all this stuff. And we're also going to give you news pieces. And a lot of that stuff you're going to find in Fightful Select. And you can subscribe here. And I think he was one of the ones at least that came along that actually said the environment has changed. We know a lot of you lie and say, I'm going to watch McNeil Lair, never have seen, you know, anything about it and watch TMZ because most people are like that. They say they don't want to see that sort of thing. Yet you look at, you know, again, look at books, you, yeah. you know, it's again, everybody reads except you ask them what's the last thing they read. You know, it, it was something on the internet about a book or something and that's at best. So it's like, he at least was clear about what they were doing. I don't think some people are as clear about that sort of thing. And I think that's why he's been one of the ones to be most successful, you know, in this new world that we're living in. And again, because of, again, everybody having a different type of 
thing going on, I, I thought what we're doing was the perfect way to kind of cut through all of that sort of stuff and have our own lane that we can, again, take the best also reporting done by people who are actually out there doing reporting and trying to break stories and doing those things. I think we shine a brighter light on those stories sometimes than their own sites do yeah. because it's not muddied down with all this other stuff. I mean, when you look at, again, when you look at sometimes the news is three and a half minutes long, sometimes it's 15 minutes long, you know, but when you look at it that way and you look at the the length of radio shows talking about, you know, events that have happened, it's like, you know, when you really whittle it down, how much is really out there? What actually really matters? We don't try to pad it. That's another thing. Like there have been a couple of times where I've been going like, God, there's nothing going on today. Maybe, you know, I'm going to run this thing that I never would have touched if it was a busy day, you know. And sometimes Brian will chime in and be like, don't do that, guys. This is not yeah. news. Like, don't bother with this. And I'm like, well, it's going to be four minutes long tomorrow. I mean, like, are you OK with that? And And the answer is yes. So it's it's yeah. not, we we don't just like run stuff because it's a slow day. We really don't do that. Do that. And that's we had good checks and balances too. I think that's you know I when Kitamura died over in New Japan, it was a news story that broke overnight. So I was able to covering New Japan for a long time. I wrote up a big long bio on him. I shifted some stories around and put it there. And last was brains. I could hear it leaking out of his ear. You know, when he called me on it, and we battled a little bit over it, saying, like, God damn, this guy just passed away. This is because in my mind, I'm thinking of it as I'm doing live radio. This just broke. I just did this, wrote this up quickly and shot on the air with it. And he's and I was pissed. And then, like, I had to think for a second and go, you're not doing live radio. You didn't just do a break-in. You didn't need a bio that long of this guy. Most people have no idea who he is. Even people following New Japan right now, he was a little far enough away where nobody knows who he is. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and there yeah, have and there have been times like that or something. I think Brian has needed to – I added some things to expand upon it or I've moved stories, and it just – be, and again, it's all done respectfully, but it's all done with really good checks and balances. Even people like Luke Kippelman or a Jason Nacarado who will look at a story, add a story and go, hey, I don't know about this. I think it's just been we've worked together incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have, uh, as you touched on, a good system of checks and balances where you um, uh, kind of check each other's work. W one thing that I know is difficult is is kind of putting yourself in the seat of, of the audience and, and what is uh, interesting, what's entertaining. You know, a pet peeve. I, I was a, a Torch subscriber for I don't know, 25 years or something like that and uh, in, enjoyed it very much once upon a time. And uh, uh, toward the, the last several years, when I finally um, uh, cut my subscription was it just became so much reading results. Right. And um, I imagine that's a tough thing with you for, for you guys, because that is news. Right. I mean, a show happens and, and results are news, but also. I imagine to some extent, a large extent, the people who are listening to you saw that show or, or, or are at least aware of that show. So how much uh, do you uh, uh, spend time with just covering uh, results and, and how do you make that interesting? Do you want me to, do you want to answer? Yeah, go me? ahead, Brian. No, go ahead. Well, I would, for, for things like that, you know, there's a few, there's a few things. So I, I never assume that, how many people have watched it or know what happened. I think in a lot of cases, it's surprising 
how many people come to it after the fact, especially with streaming or or with Raw where you're not watching every single show or SmackDown where you may not watch it every single week, Dynamite, whatever it is. And I also look at it, like I was saying before, like if, if I'm reporting on it as news, I'm trying to break it down to what's the most significant stuff. So even if you saw the show or you have a vague awareness of what happened, I'm trying to break it down as far as what are the most significant takeaways from this show? Like there'll be times where I won't even give the full results. If it's mm-hmm. like if a million matches happen or like I, I don't report squat when they just have like powerhouse Hobbs beat Jabroni Johnson right. in four seconds. I don't even bother to put it in, in the write up. Like, cause I'm thinking of it like, like what is the takeaway? That's the thing. And also, Look, there's there's usually other things happening now. I if we have a show where um, the only thing of note that happened that day is really like SmackDown and Rampage, you know, I, I get it. You you know, you don't want that to happen too often, where your whole show is just who beat who and who beat who and who beat who. But but that really rarely happens. And there's even sometimes where um, I'll make a call or will make a call that hey something bigger happened today than Monday night raw. I mean, most of the time on a Tuesday morning broadcast, we're going to lead with Monday night raw, but you know, if something bigger happened, that's the lead. And, and sometimes like rampage will just be like a footnote near the bottom because uh, it's not as newsworthy as other things that happened that day. You had WrestleMania and the, uh, it wasn't the sale, but the, uh, the, the, the merger with, uh, That was the same day. It was right? crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And that's where we did the like the follow up. And I was so afraid to do that because <laughs> we knew that the sale was going to go through officially the next morning. Right. And so I'm sitting there writing it up the night before knowing Mike is going to record it like first thing in the morning, probably before the uh, the sale announcement goes through. So I'm writing it going like. Oh my God, like the second this thing goes up, an hour later, it's going to need to be completely updated. <laughs> yeah. So part of me was like, do we just wait and do an afternoon edition like for once because we know this? And what we wound up doing was doing like uh, like a follow-up, like a special break-in, you know, like breaking extra, news, extra. special announcement, right? <laughs> yeah. Which I think we've only done twice. If I'm, I think, didn't we do it for the all for the uh, all-out brawl too? Like stuff coming out of that, we had like a follow-up during the day or or am I remembering that wrong? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure on that one, but if, if this was the second time we did it, that that's been it. I mean, that's, and I was thinking the same thing. I'm going to record this thing and let's see how we do it. And you know, what we did was trial and error. You know, we talk about if there's news breaking throughout the day, if it's of, you know, enough magnitude, we will update. And this was our, one of our first chances to go ahead and do that. Certainly the first time in a long time to go ahead and give it that shot. And I think when it comes to even results, a lot of it has been trial and error a little bit. Let's see. Okay. You know, a couple of weeks, let me throw out there the WAPA WWC results just to get a fishing line out there to see, okay, you know, is what's happening there matters. Is that, you know, registering anywhere, you know, if, if a show happens after Brian's done, because again, a lot of those GCW shows run late, I'll go ahead and look at it and go, okay, how big was this show and what happened on it? You know, where does this, this fit, you know, same thing when it comes to the Japanese stories, you know, those things are happening right before and really right, right when I'm recording the show in a lot of cases. So in a, in a situation when it comes to Wrestle Kingdom or Stardom's All, All-Star Grand Queendom, like 
that's going to be covered as a story because people are jacked up at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. The show has just happened. They're already into it. That's going to be important. Whereas there are some other times when shows are happening overnight that it's easier to wait a couple of days, even if there is a title change or something like that, or not wait a couple of days, but wait until the next episode, because again, it's not, it's not going to change anything. The, the balance of the, you know, of the wrestling world isn't going to be shifted by what happened and it can go ahead and wait till the next episode. And also by doing it that way, if anything comes out about it afterwards, especially if it's taking place overseas, we have more of an idea on what took place if somebody was concussed or, you know, this happened or that happened out of it. That's why I don't bother with most of the time any kind of stories that have to do with, well, it looks like this major thing is going to be happening soon. It's in mm. the works. We've heard that this is about to happen. I don't even touch it. I wait till it happens. Right. Because again, like we're not in the business of doing previews of like, I don't do like, Hey, here's the matches that are going to be on next week's show. Like that's not what we're doing. Mostly it's like this happened. And if it hasn't happened yet, then we don't bother. It's not news yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think you guys have found a great niche. Yeah. And you guys have talked to, you know, being in this, talking to people where people float stories to you, they float things to you, they float their opinions to you. And they, you know, again, and it's a lot easier when you're on shows where, it's about the banter to, to maybe bring up some of those sort of feelings or, or that's got no place in what we're doing. So again, to when you eliminate all that sort of stuff, it just, again, it clears the air. Are, are you guys seven days a week? Seven days a week. So that's a huge commitment. I mean, we, we all have, you know, uh, commitments, but, but, you know, sometimes we'll go weeks without doing this podcast. Uh, but when you got to do it every night, so I imagine, I mean, can you can you ever like double up and and do uh, knock out a couple in in advance so you don't have to do one the next day? I guess not really. Because How could you? Yeah, right, you yeah. can't. It's going to be yeah. outdated if you do that, you know. And we haven't. I mean, maybe one day at some point we'll be doing things that are more like kind of like investigative or featurey or whatever. I think it would require a bigger staff to start doing things like that. But um, those are the kind of things, like as you know, in the news business that you can sit on a little bit. They're yeah. a little more evergreen or they're ongoing. But with what we do, which is just all the day's breaking news, it's got to be – you can't save stuff. If you skip a day, then you just have to say we're not reporting on that day. You can't even bother with it. You have to move on to whatever Has the happened? next day is. Have you, you haven't missed, missed a day. No, no, really. No, wow. August. We started last August. We haven't right. missed a day. To whatever we're at today, two hundred and fifty-five straight or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah and in the you know, the best thing I can do is I just I grew up in a time where the evening, the Baltimore Evening Sun, which I think ended up being the last evening newspaper in the nation, was still going. And a lot of times, especially towards the end, you'd look at a story and you'd essentially. And I again, this is a different era, but like getting the Sunday paper on Saturday where you'd look at the sports section and they have essentially where the next day's story is going to go on the game that they're reporting on. And they have it written out, but they essentially oh, yeah. have, have said nothing in it. And I, yeah, I kind of called back to that, yeah. not taking proper journalism classes where, OK, the best I can do is build a skeleton of something that I have the night before that I can go ahead and now add the results to and and add what actually happened to the show in the first two paragraphs. I imagine there have been situations where you guys have been out or you got a wedding or you got some kind of family mm -hmm. commitment. So is it after and, and, and you just don't want to do it, <laughs> you know, come home, maybe had a couple. Uh, so so what is uh, that process, again, of, of having to do this 
Uh, is, is it the last thing you do before you go to bed? Or, or, well, or in your case, uh, Mike, the, the first thing you do when you get up? Mike, do you, do you want to? Well, for me, you know, <laughs> so I've always had, uh, you know, I've been living a unique life for a long time. When I started doing the, uh, the daily Wrestling Observer Lives, I left, you know, I was out of the job that I was at. And where I live, I live in a resort area. So to try to find a job that's going to let you off between basically between 2 and 5 p.m. every day, you know, it was like, no. So I ended up working overnight and it ended up becoming, you know, way too much to bear. But it also, again, you can have some creative times overnight. So to work on a wacky schedule, you know, didn't didn't really affect me too much. And then ultimately what has happened is I am only doing podcasting right now i'm only doing wrestling based things i'm still got hustles out you know because this stuff doesn't pay all that much you know what i'm saying but it's like you know i have hustles out that i do but like i'm able to at least commit to this and i'm able to do this from my home am i wearing pants right now you don't know (laughs) am i wearing pants doing uh, wrestling news usually yes but it's like you know i'm at least able to walk from one room to another i live at the beach that's going to be something throughout the summer here because, yes, I live at the beach, but then we will get up, drive an hour south, go to another beach just because that's what we like to do. We'll get up at like five in the morning and just drive down there and then spend the entire morning there. That will play a little bit of havoc into what I'm doing now, which is getting up between four and six every day and then doing the news, adding everything, anything I need to do to it, recording it, editing it, and then getting it out to Brian. So you know, that's the only difference for me. Again, we've been very lucky in the team that we've had where if Brian's got something to do, I can go ahead and Luke can, can write in some of the stories. Yeah. yeah. Or when yeah. I'm just, I know I'm going to be gassed the next morning or I did, you know, I am going to be doing something where I'm going to be ingesting a bunch of salt. I'm going to wake up like, like, all right, Lou, <laughs> can you help me out on these stories? So it's a little bit easier on me. So again, it's been the group that we've had and the core that we've had here it's made it really easy, at least from my my end of things. And again, it's a lot easier to talk than sometimes do what Brian's doing, writing all this stuff out and, and trying to decipher it. Because thank God, I don't have to watch these shows as closely as he does live <laughs> to do this stuff. Well, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, for the, you, Brian, what does it entail? The trick for me, and I don't always accomplish this, but ideally, the way you got to do it is it's got to be like periodically throughout the day, building it, checking in, you do a little right up here, you do a little right up there. You you don't want to be, as I have sometimes had to do, you don't want to be sitting there at 11 o'clock looking at a blank screen and going like, oh my God, I got like 12 items that have to be written up and all this stuff. Like, But life happens. That happens sure. if you got activities with the kids or you're going out for the day or, or something's going on or, you know, like I'm, I'm like Mike where I do everything from home. I work, I make my own schedule. Thank God I'm blessed. So it's not like work related stuff, but it's life related stuff. Or you have to plan ahead because you're going out that night and you know, when you get home, you're not going to be in a state <laughs> to write yeah. up a script. So I try my best to plan for every eventuality i don't always succeed like but but the the thing about it is there's been a handful it's very rare where i'm just like i'm not gonna be around for a couple of days it happens it's like you know i went when i went to detroit to michigan to accept the awards for the book and i went there with my daughter and i knew like there's no way i'm not gonna be like maybe if i was by myself maybe but with my daughter like it's just impossible or 
you know, going on a vacation with the kids. Or I had to say, look, I'm, I can't do this on Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. I can't do it on Christmas. Like my family's going to shoot me in the face. Like I can't, I can't do it on Easter. I, I just can't like, I, you know, it, it's not going to work, you know, New Year's Eve and things like that. So, I mean, w- we try our best to cover for each other and I don't like to abuse that and do it too often because I know, like Mike said, he's getting up at the crack of dawn every right. morning. He's doing this thing. And I don't want to say, well, on top of that, could you like write half the script for me because I'm going to the beach? You know, yeah. like I, I try not to do it that much as much as uh, can possibly be be avoided. You know, I think maybe there, there might have even there was like maybe one time where it was after the like the WrestleMania week of craziness where it's like 14 shows happening all over the place and all through the night. And after the WrestleMania weekend was over. I think there was one night where I just was like, I'm done tonight. Like I'm done. It's six o'clock and I'm sorry. Like that. What, what, that's all I could do. I'm going to like, Brian Solomon, your brain is like a sponge (laughs) and every once in a while you need to wring it out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is usually a a reason, a very specific reason other than I'm tired. Like there's a specific (laughs) reason, but that was the one time where I was like, I'm too tired. Can't, I'm sorry. I can't. I can't do it. I've been up until like two in the morning because my thing is I don't want to get into my life story here, but I get up no matter what happens. I usually on a weekday have to be up at like seven o'clock in the morning because I'm getting my son ready for school, putting him on the bus because my wife has a nine to five job. So she's not always or she can't do it, you know. So like and that's seven at the latest, like that's sleeping in, you know. So I never have the option to be like, boy, it was a late night. Like I didn't get done writing the script till two in the morning, which happens sometimes. So I'm going to sleep in a little bit. Nope, I can't. So like that's the biggest, biggest struggle. And that's another reason why I try to avoid that by periodically (laughs) working on it through the day, because there's no there's no mercy. There's no break. Like it doesn't matter when I get finished and when I get to bed, I'm getting up at seven o'clock in the morning (laughs) the next day. So, yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta plan. It's planning. It's planning. And, and the challenge of all this, I, th- I think, um, for, for both of you and, and, and this even, you know, I, I think goes for, for, for all of us who, who work in wrestling is that you're, you know, you do this because theoretically you like wrestling. Right. Uh, but when there's that much of it and there's that much pressure, I mean, are, are there moments where it makes you hate wrestling? <laughs> I mean, I imagine you could only like take so much. No, nah, Wrestling Observer Live does that for me. So this is it's like I, a say, I have to say because that like gets a knee jerk reaction from me. I I love what I do. I love what I write about. I'm the kind of person like I can't apply myself to things I don't enjoy. I'm terrible. Like it's impacted me in my professional life, in my academic <laughs> life. I cannot apply myself to things I hate. So if this was anything other than wrestling. I would be like running. I would be like, I would be like Bugs Bunny, like jumping through the wall with like a a shape of myself, a hole in the wall and like running as far away as I can. But because it's wrestling, like I genuinely love doing it, even when I don't want to do it because I'm tired or it's like, oh my God, like I push through it because I love the, the material and the content that what you said, what you guys just said, though, made me laugh because there will be times, though where I'll look around, I'll be looking for stories and I'll see something and I'll be like, Oh my God, why did that have to happen now? Like, Oh my God. (laughs) And if it's one of those, and if it's one of those things that I got to talk about on observer live, because it's gotten in under Brian's skin, you know, it's like, 
because it's hard for me to fake it. And if I don't want to talk about something or think it's an incredibly stupid thing we're talking about, you know, and he can push my buttons again. We've been doing stuff so long that, you know, it's like doing it with family where you hate them sometimes, but you do love them, but they know how to twist the knife at times and get you. And it's like, some of the stuff we'll talk about on the, it's like, I can't believe that people care about this stuff. But then it's like, what am I complaining about? I'm talking about wrestling. And yeah. frankly, I know why people talk about ratings because I remember when ratings actually did matter and when it became a big thing during the Monday Night Wars and how it never left. And it became just this obvious Pavlovian thing where people want to know the they'll they'll say they don't want to know about the ratings and then if you don't give them they'll ask where was the rating why didn't mm -hmm. you talk about the rating is it part to plant a flag because people just want to play sure but it's kind of just become that thing where uh, what can I can truly complain about so and again I it's not to disparage any of the stuff that I do but I'm glad I have multiple outlets because I do like Again, I would not watch anywhere near the amount, nor most of the stuff that I have to watch now if I, you know, with, with modern wrestling. But I can at least balance that with the Mid-Atlantic show and I can go back and watch that stuff and get kind of refreshed again. I can talk about just the news that matters, which, again, helps. So I have multiple outlets, you know, when it comes to the Japanese scene. You know, I've been able to do that and been able to filter through a lot of things. So when I'm done hearing about this nonsense with AEW or WWE, and I just want to watch, you know, wrestling with some other commentator's voice in some other language where I can have, you know, just be clean with it. I love doing that too. It's one of the reasons I actually like Lucha and never want to be too involved in it other than giving results because yeah. that's like the one, it's like going to a Cirque du Soleil show where it's like going to somewhere where it's like mind clear. I, they're doing, you know, they are wrestling, but it's like, I don't have to think about politics or nonsense. I don't have to be Dr. Lucha, you know, I don't have to yeah. be Cubs fan or Fredo Esparza. And, and, you know, I'm sure they look at stuff that I cover and go, you know what? I'm glad I don't have to do that either. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of WWE and AEW nonsense, <laughs> we, <laughs> we should probably get to some of it, but I love this stuff. I mean, I, I, I think uh, uh, we should be doing more of it here. I've been mean, talking about the actual craft of, of what we do and, I think uh, you two are the perfect people to talk about it with. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. fun. Um, but I, I do want to talk a bit about uh, a backlash uh, in particular, uh, a big show. I thought a really fun show. I think, Brian, uh, uh, you agreed. Uh, uh, in particular, Bad Bunny. How great is Bad Bunny? I mean, like, it's it's um, uh, uh, coming off of Logan Paul, who I think, you know, has set a new bar for uh, a celebrity wrestler. And I don't think Bunny is, is quite there. Uh, but that was, I think by any standard a fantastic performance pro wrestling performance by bad bunny his his selling uh the execution of his stuff the timing uh, uh everything i thought was so great and i think um that that match and really the, really the whole event but that match in particular may be a a high point for the the presentation of uh latino wrestlers and hispanic wrestlers in wwe ever you know i mean i thought it was it was so classy and respectful i loved uh carlito coming out i loved sabio coming out i loved the, you know throughout the night it was so cool the fans uno dos tres when whenever they'd be <laughs> yes. the, the near fall uh it was just such a and 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 obviously damian priest is part of that too who did a a fantastic job but that was uh and, and i never thought i would say this that was one of uh, my favorite w matches of the year so far 
Yeah, I, I think that um, the crowd, you know, that show especially shows you that the crowd is so much a part of the show. And I don't mean it in the sense of like, this is awesome. I yeah. mean, like, uh, you know, enough of that. Like the energy that they give and the and the real enthusiasm, like people were joking and saying like, aren't these people tired? It's been yeah. like three hours of nonstop. But that was great. Like they loved and enjoyed every second of it. And it elevated the show. I'm not saying it would have been a boring show without it, but it would have been less exciting, less interesting. And the bad, the bad bunny match is a great example. I, what I also love about it was, and other people have said this too, and maybe it's the Triple H shift and the and the shift away from from Vince thinking all the time or Kevin Dunn thinking all the time is not being afraid to play into a local audience give yeah. them what they want yeah. treat the legends with respect like i can't imagine that happening a, a few yeah. years ago like doing a show where like savio vega comes out and gets to go over on the heels and like look strong and everything like that and almost like a and especially in a nod to the local to the wrestling of puerto rico because i mean he, he was a much bigger deal in Puerto Rico than he was in the WWF. You know what I mean? I, I don't even know if he was a main eventer really in the WWF. So, I mean, like that kind of respect and 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 elevating them and not making them jokes, like it added to the show. I even really believe that that's the reason we saw them break the, the no blood rule in the main event very purposely to be yeah, like, we're in Puerto too. Rico. This is a main Cologne, event, yeah. right? This is what these fans want. We're going to give it to them, damn it. And, and like, I thought it was great. But really, beyond just, uh, uh, I think, catering to geographically, you know, a, a, a location, it really was to uh, a culture, right? Yes. Uh, I thought, yes. and, you know, I was at, I think it was the, the Survivor Series press conference in, in Boston where um, Triple H took a question from a uh, a reporter from a Hispanic news channel. I, I forget which one it was, but it asked, she asked, you know, when when are you coming to to Latin America? And I guess they already had plans for this at the time. And he kind of uh, foreshadowed it. And it was clear that, you know, Triple H uh, was saying the right things. You could question, well, how much is, is he saying this, you know, uh, just to cater her or or is he serious about doing something special there? But but after that, I and I think it was a gradual build to that event with um, the induction of, of Rey Mysterio at, at the Hall of Fame, the creation of the Latino World Order. Um, I think, you know, maybe one of the more underreported stories, they've just done a really and, and look, this is a company that had. Uh, wrestlers coming to the ring on lawnmowers, you know, not that long ago. Uh, so, so that's the, the history that that they had, and I think this has been. And LW shirts apparently selling really well. Uh, I think it has been the the tone of it has been just perfect. Um, I the stuff with Zelina Vega, who's not a big, you know, not been a big star. I thought that was really well done and classy. She shouldn't have won, so that was right. But but I loved the emotion on her. If I you know nitpicky one thing, and I thought this. Before you know, uh, uh, I saw the the uh, the card uh, roll out. Bad Bunny should have closed that show. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and I don't see why not. I mean, if I mean, what what better? I've heard some of the comparisons made to the uh, the, the Canadian Stampede show, uh, which ended you know this big celebration in, in the ring. That's kind of what we got at the end of the the Bunny match with with all you know with Savio and Carlito and and. The LWO in the ring, uh, holding Bad Bunny up. I mean, to me, that was the way to close 
the show, especially since, uh, and I'd be interested, uh, Mike, and your thoughts on this. To me, the, the the main event was something of a disappointment. It was fine. It was a Brock Lesnar match. I feel like I've seen it a hundred times. Um, the 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 blood, as you touched on, was kind of a new element to it. Uh, but I was, you know, I was frankly pretty underwhelmed by the whole thing. I I think probably the mentality behind it was we were giving Bad Bunny and Damian Priest twenty five minutes, even though we have all these high hopes. What if something goes sideways? Right. What if? we don't get the reactions for Sabi. And I don't know why they would think that, but you know, what if we don't get the right reactions? What if it's messy? How do we send them home happy? Well, I know how we can send them home happy. It's Brock bleeding because he headbutts, you know, like a turnbuckle and there's going to be carnage. And maybe if things did go that sideways, okay, you guys go out there, tear up ringside, you know, you know, in addition to what you're going to do in the ring and go for the pin and, all, and how it happened. I think they provided themselves an out by doing it that way. Ultimately, they didn't need the out because everything was pitch perfect. And we'll see going forward on the LWO. I'm naturally very cynical on it. You know, come from a time where you had all of these, you know, all of the Spanish language broadcasting was out of Miami and you had this big Puerto Rican and Cuban influence and people would be, it, don't Mexican? No, Mexicans don't like this because they're not Puerto Rican. And we've seen this weird thing happen already with the LWO where it's like, it's the same thing. And well, they we'll have see, the, the, the Puerto Rican colors on the LWO flag now. So I, again, I think they've done a nice job of sort of like melding it all together. Yeah. But what I would also like to see is, okay, is there any other Puerto Rican talent you have in the system now you'd like to go ahead and maybe feature on as well too? You know, again, WWE, because it's been pro wrestling, has not done a great job. I don't think sometimes of really when it comes to culture, really putting in the time and effort needed to really, you know, dig your your tentacles in and really understand what is happening. I mean, we had a story, again, again, there's been tons of stories, but we had a story like that coming out of the, the writer's room where there seemed to be a big discrepancy in how some people view their culture with how others may view comedy in somebody else's culture. Again, that's a story for a different day, but I'd like to see what they do here because already it's like, wait, I can't wait to get back to Puerto Rico. How many guys do we have in the developmental system? And it's like, okay, you can't manufacture something like this. You have to work for it. You know, you got very lucky with the fact that you hadn't been doing anything with Zelina Megan. You were going to Puerto Rico and you were doing this thing with the LWO that helped to facilitate that moment. You've kept Damien Priest really solid. Hadn't been perfect booking, but you've kept him really solid the entire time he's been going. And he's part of a hot group at a time where you're going to that again. Good timing brought all that and good work put into to things brought that about. You can't just manufacture it. So. What are they going to do more with the LWO? We'll see. I just keep waiting for Escobar to turn on Ray because yeah. that's what we do. And then, you know, so it's I'm glad we are past a lot of the stereotypical stuff that, you know, was always a part of wrestling for a long time. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding when you go out there and you really actually show representation and you show what matters. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. I'm sorry, Ken Ryan. No, I was just going to say that I, I like what they're doing this time, too, what they're trying to do. I do like it with the LWO because what what they're not referencing and what if you weren't there, you may not remember, is that the LWO and WCW was treated as a joke. Yeah. I, I mean, they, it was a punchline. It was like, oh, it was an eye roller. That's really how it was presented. 
and it shouldn't have been because there was potential there. They had the the, the you know, like the golden age of these luchadors coming in, and there was so many things, and they made it a joke. And so this is better than that. And I was at WWE when the Mexicals happened, and there were many of us that could not believe it. We had our jaws on the floor, like because it's not like it was like 1980. It was 2005. You know, there was no excuse for it. And I, I knew those guys, uh, Psychosis and Juventude and Super Porky and all those guys. I, who else was was Super Crazy involved in it? Crazy. Yeah. They were they were game. I never remember them expressing. You know. They they went along with it and they were they were happy to get on TV, but it was like you can't take the moral high ground and make fun of WCW as they would sometimes do in these documentaries and things for how they treated them. You know, oh, could you believe that they wanted to take Rey Mysterio's mask off? Oh my God, the sacrament, and then do the same thing and do the same exact thing. And they they have struggled a long time with this because I remember when I was there, the big move. And this is what led to the elevation of Eddie Guerrero directly. This is where they got it right. There was this understanding that we have a strong fan base in the Latino community. In, 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 in population centers where there's a large Latino population, we do really well demographically more than in other groups. And I found this even to be anecdotally true. If you talk to young people, the young people who are the most enthusiastic teenagers about WWE tend to be more in the Latino community than just a, a white kids. I've taught in different neighborhoods and communities and schools. I see it in front of my eyes. It's true. And so there was this push of like, we need more Latino superstars. And it led to, we need main eventers. We need like, we need, you know, that's what they were saying at the time. We need like a, a Latino main event world champion guy. And they picked Eddie, you know, to a lesser degree, Ray got elevated because of that. But Ray was already a legend. Like Eddie Guerrero became a thing because of that. But, but that's not something they've usually gotten right. And I think they're getting it more right now than they probably ever have. Yeah. And, and I think a, a couple of things ha have helped there. I think bad bunny has been a huge help. And I remember when they first brought uh, bad bunny on a couple of years ago, and I went to that WrestleMania and I had never heard of bad bunny. Um, you know, I'm kind of past that, that generation. And I remember thinking like, man, why are they spending so much time on this? Whatever he is, Latin rapper, too. never heard yeah. of him. And uh, I, I was in the nosebleeds of the stadium uh, and the amount of Bad Bunny shirts uh, that I saw, it, it blew my mind. And that's why I sort of realized, oh, this guy's a really big deal. And, and that goes without saying. Now, obviously, it's one of the biggest uh, superstars uh, in the world. And I wonder how much of, in a way, he might have kind of like paved the path for, for WWE and showing, look, you have an opportunity here, you know. And I do think um, for, for – uh, Unfortunately, with wrestling and maybe particularly WWE, for, for so long when they've thought Hispanic uh, uh, wrestling audiences, they've just kind of defaulted to Mexico. Well, that's where the Hispanic wrestlers come from. So I like here that they branched out, and it's not just the Mexican wrestlers. They've got the Puerto Rican wrestlers. I'd love to see them open it up to, to other countries uh, as well, and, and I don't know who could be in the pipeline. Uh, but but keep it going. And and in terms of representation, I don't know what the, the writing room looks like, but uh, that's where it really matters. I mean, in terms of, of putting on a product that connects with an audience and isn't offensive, that's where it's important to have somebody in the writing room. You know, what, what was the story that just came out about the, the writer 
who uh, is suing WWE, a black woman, and she told the story of, of them riding the Bianca. I'm going to take off my earrings to, to get in this fight. And, God. you know. That's uh, a great example of that. Yeah. That's a great example of somebody that is the two sides that because, I mean, Brian is from uh, Bensonhurst, right? Well, what if your only stereotype of somebody from Bensonhurst was the Yusef Hawkins story from right. the 80s where he's going through there and you're going to have this stereotypical Italian who's going to be in his, you know, cut-off T-shirt, white T-shirt on with his hair slicked back, smoking a cigarette or in his Adidas, you know, sweatsuit. And that's like, it's, do you want to be represented that way? Now, are there people around that want to be represented that way? Sure. Do you know somebody who might be like that? Okay. But Bianca Belair didn't want to be on the Springer show. She didn't want to, yo, I'm going to take off my, my earrings. If, you know, I know, you know, again, you can stereotype a white girl named Crystal with big hoop earrings, you know, getting in a fight at a Waffle House. Like if you're trying to fight against something and you've been fighting against it for a long time in your real life, and your professional life in some cases, certainly in the, some of these people's cases, their athletic lives, because that's a lot of the background they're coming from, that matters. And for somebody to have that alternate view, because there were people that were treating it like, well, that's what happens in a writer's room. It's a corporate writing place that is not the Friars Club dais or, or back room. It's not. And if you want that, that's great. But also know that when you say things and come up with ideas that get swatted back. It's, it's not an assault on your genius. It's because you may not be looking right. outside of that, you know? And again, some people are made to be there. Some people aren't, you do need to have a certain level of thick skin and things, but I thought this was a great reminder that, Hey, there are multiple truths here. And again, we'll have to see exactly what happens with it, but am I surprised that it happened? No, because it just doesn't happen there. It happens in every workplace everywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I think that it's all about the dynamic, too, because I think one of the most interesting things to me and, and the act and a very important part of that story was when it came out in the evidence or testimony, whatever the heck it was, that Bianca Belair herself had been complaining about this and saying, like, I don't know why. I think she mentioned Kevin Dunn specifically, like Kevin Dunn wants me to say these things or do these things or like just just being disgusted. Like, I don't want to say this. That's really important. Cause that it would be, be, the it would be one it. thing, right. Yeah. It would be one thing if she was like, yeah, that was great. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. It was hilarious. It's, and it's also, it's, you got to pay attention to the fact when you have white writers saying to the black talent, this is what you're going to say, right? Yeah. Because like, this, this is, how is your, black people act. That's, yeah. That makes it very different. Now I will yeah. say this though. There are a couple of things that were in there. And I don't include the Bianca thing in this, but I mean, there's also times where, and maybe this needs to change in the wrestling culture. Cause like I've been in that writer's room. I was not a member of the creative team for them, but I've been in there. I've also been in brainstorming things on the magazine publication side of things where we're trying to come up with stories and people would say outrageous things that were meant to break the monotony because we're all friggin' exhausted and, and, and tense. And we don't know if we're going to get fired tomorrow. And you say ridiculous things to crack people up. You have to make a distinction that we're not pitching this as a real idea. Like 
there's some things I'm not going to mention on here, but I mean, one, one thing that I, it pops into my head, we just had this, it was stupid idea. Of, it wasn't even an idea. It was just like Batista was hot. And we said, what if we had Fatista where it would be a guy, he was a fan in the crowd, this big fat guy. And he was the biggest Batista fan ever. And he had all the same tattoos. And then like one day the heels put this guy in peril and Batista comes out and saves him. And then from then on, he's like Batista's mascot. So I you have, love it. You have, you have <laughs> Batista and Fatista. Man, you got Craig George on TV again. I think we even had, we actually had Super Porky at the time we were thinking, we were like, what oh if boy. it's him? We didn't literally mean, hey, we're going to bring this idea to Vince and Brian Gewertz. No, we're just. I think like, you would have loved it. <laughs> we're just like, and that's one of the safer things that I actually feel comfortable mentioning on here. Yeah. But it happens. That does happen. And so sometimes you got to gauge it a little bit. But again, maybe that needs to change too, you know? Well, it's just, to me, it's a, just a reminder that you got to evolve a little bit and you got to, yes. you got to remember to check yourself and you got to remember to go, okay, do we need a new set of eyes on this? Right. You know, if you're, again, because if you're a, and again, the, the writer's room is much more diverse now, but still, when it comes down to, if you're a 70 year old or a 65 year old white guy from a certain time, like, I'm happy that I don't know all of my son's music who is, you know, 15 years old. And I don't know. I shouldn't know. I shouldn't like a lot of this stuff. I should have to look into go, what is this? You know, because you got to evolve and you got to stay up with what's happening and what's taking place. And you got to know too, again, who you're around, when you're around and when it's time to, <laughs> it's time to say yeah. things. Cause again, too, people that are coming out of comedy, stand-up comedy and and out of that sort of environment i mean they will joke about everything about their best friends about their family members and kill them you can't do that with everyone you, you just can't do it in the environment you gotta read in. the room you have to read absolutely the room. like yes. what the, what jumped out to me was the person who like i couldn't believe it when i first read it but who like said something about well mansoor we're going to reveal that mansoor was responsible for 9-11 yeah and yeah. I'm going like my first reaction is like, who the heck? Like, in what world would you think that that was okay or that was an acceptable idea? And then I also thought, well, maybe it was one of those things where it was somebody ill-advisedly in a misguided way trying to make a sick joke to break up the room and get people to laugh. But you have to read the room. You have to know the room. Like that's not like you said, Mike. You're not in the back room at the Friars Club. You're not on stage at the Comedy Cellar. You have to read the room if you're going to even make a joke like that. You know? And you also don't get that much of a benefit of the doubt when you've got the track record that the WWE True. had. To, you know, yes. they did do Muhammad Hassan, you know, which wasn't that far off <laughs> from what you're describing. So, uh, but anyhow, I, I, I think uh, a lot of people did themselves a lot of favors uh, Saturday night in terms of. Um, uh, turning a page here. I mean, I think Damien Priest looked like a star out there. I hope, you know, th that was to me kind of a coming out party for him. I think you could say the same for Zelina Vega, not so much her performance. I mean, I think she is who she is, but showing her in, in that light being treated like a star um, probably helped her a lot. And uh, the Puerto Rican fans, I mean, like uh, I'm thinking WWE is going to want to go back to Puerto Rico and, and maybe not, not wait that long when you've got a crowd that is, uh, not just that hot, but I mean, knowledgeable, kind of like popping in the right place. It was exactly what you want in a wrestling crowd. They didn't like uh, Bianca Belair, though. Yeah, that, that was, was unexpected. That was, it was wild. a little odd. Yeah. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, I think they did, did themselves a, a lot of favors, and, and I'm interested to see uh, where it goes from here. Um, so uh, uh, last night, Monday night, uh, a Raw, uh, the follow-up, uh, we've got some advancement in the world title tournament. We already have half of it, I guess, already settled. I'm, I'm surprised they're moving uh, this quickly, but Seth Rollins is going to be uh, challenging for, for the uh, the world heavyweight title against for the Raw world title against somebody coming out of SmackDown, ostensibly, it sounds like. Um, what, what did either of you, uh, think about the progress there and does it put in sharper focus what they're doing here, uh, which very well could be putting the world title on Seth Rollins. That's what it felt like to me. I mean, you could pull a swerve and have maybe edge defeat him in Saudi Arabia or, or however you have off of SmackDown. And then they're now in the mix on, on raw as well too. I, but it just seemed like it was going to be either Seth Rollins or Cody Rhodes and ends up being Seth Rollins. Okay. No surprise there. And let's go. It's just why they're deciding. And I know why, because they wanted to have this in, in, in Saudi. So that's why it's going to be taking place there as the final, but why they decided to have two tournament matches and get everything wrapped up this week. I don't know. You know, I don't, is that because you got so much on the table for the bloodline on SmackDown that you just want this to be a one week thing and out of the way. And then you can promote it more on raw because we got this going on over here. I have no idea. I don't know how they're going to fill the time leading into it, but it's a, it's not a title I like. This is not a storyline that I, I am for. I wish they would be doing this in, in scraps and fights to get to Austin Theory and to Gunther and use them as the, you know, the, the way to get things up. But that's not in the era we're in. They're selling these things. They're giving them away to licensing them to, to footballs and universities. So for them to come up with this and have another championship, it's just for them. It's again, it's just where we're at right now in the world of WWE. That's like we can pull this stuff off and poof. And yeah. people go, AEW could because AEW can't do that and they shouldn't do that. But this is just this is what WWE can do. They're able to pull it off right now. And people, the hardcores can complain about it. We can talk about whether it's a good idea or not, but it's just it's an idea that they have, and that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've and I and you know, Al, I've talked about it at length. My thoughts on the brand extension and, to, and and having multiple world titles. WWE is the only company that does this. You know, that has like more than one world champion in a company, or that tries to come up with all these esoteric names. Well, this is not a world championship. This is the WWE champ. Well, what does that mean? This is the universe. Okay. So he's the champion of the universe. Like what? These are world champions, right? So they're the only company that does it. And I, and I feel like at this point now in 2023, I have to say the idea of a brand extension feels like such an outdated idea. Now at this point, it's archaic. It comes from a time when WWE had no competition, so they had to create it. Like that time doesn't exist anymore. Newsflash: They yeah. have competition. They don't need this. I've said it. It's, it should be all hands on deck. But as far as look, they are doing it. That's the reality. The belt is beautiful. I love what they. It's like the best of both worlds. You want to have your giant logo, but you don't want it to look like crap, or you don't want it to look like a giant ring. Okay, so you have a really nice belt. Awesome. I think what they're doing with getting it all out of the way, like you said, 
one thing that the first thing I thought of as to why they might be doing that is they if they have a plan, let's say for whatever it's going to be, Seth Rollins versus I guess you'd have to say Edge. I'm not looking at the field right now, but there was one other person that I thought Lashley could be maybe a guy. But so maybe then the thinking is we want to build very strongly this match and we're going to take the two guys and they're going to be doing a lot leading into it. There's going to be, it's going to be a a big angle. Create kind of a feud rather than just, this is how the bracket. Right. Rather than just, well, they're the finalists. Like you want to maybe create a storyline between the two. Now, as far as like, again, it's making lemons out of lemonade and the best of both worlds. If they're doing it, it is somewhat intriguing to have Rollins be the guy because then you've got, you know, Roman Reigns is is the is the universal champion, the undisputed champ, whatever the heck that even means at this point. But and then you have Rollins as your world heavyweight champion. Well, that's intriguing given their background. But again, why is it intriguing? It's intriguing again because we're thinking about unifying it. We're right. talking about the two shield guys wrestling each other as to who is the world champion. So I don't know. Maybe that's the end game here. They wanted to create more of well we already unified it so what do we do now well we come up with another one and we unify that i don't know if that's where they're going with it i mean it's it's confusing as hell but at least you have a built-in angle of some kind between the two world champions that's the best i could do with it yeah and the other bit that was kind of a relief uh as crazy as it sounds is seeing cody not advance right? oh yeah because, and it uh, was very well done handling yeah. how to get him out of that because the show started with, and I was just like groaning audibly. Like he probably could have heard me from the arena was like, Oh my God, are we supposed to believe that this guy wants this belt? Why, why would he want this belt? But, but again, he's out there and doing the promo. We're talking about how he wants to win this title. And I started thinking like, Oh my God, please, please don't put it on this guy. (laughs) That's the kiss of death. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully, they had a plan to get him out of it. Because I understand where they're coming from. You can't not include him because then that looks weird, too. It's like, why is Cody not involved in this? Are they trying to say that he's not one of the top contenders? So you have to involve him. But they did it in a way where it builds the the Lesnar feud. And I still have to say, I'm glad he went over in Puerto Rico. He needs to continue to go over. They can't pull any funny business. This feud is intended to keep Cody strong. And if it has any other purpose, then I'm sorry, then then the conspiracy theories are true. You know? <laughs> yeah, you I can mean, give oh, I'm sorry, good. Get I'll just say I, I I think we're running into some of the concern that we talked about of of if the the plan, and I don't know that it is, but if the plan is to run back Cody and Roman next year at WrestleMania, you've got a lot of time to kill, right? And and so it it's it is like a year of making sure you handle all these different little challenges with Cody just the right way. So right, it means him beating Brock, it means him not advancing in this tournament. At some point, though, I imagine he'll he if he is a top guy on Raw and this is the Raw World title, he'll have to challenge for that title. Uh, somewhere, whether it's SummerSlam or some other pay-per-view. And even that, how do you handle it? Again, now he's challenging for a world title, but you really don't want him to win it. But he needs to be kept strong. So it, it it's kind of a mess. And I think the answer is you should put the title on, on Cody at WrestleMania 39. It's, it's just the mental gymnastics yeah. are exhausting. Yeah, I mean, I I was one of those people. I was, I'm willing to take the ride. Like, okay, you've told me right. we're not ending the story here. It beca- and I love the whole thing of, well, if Cody wins it, then what do you do? 
<laughs> what, do you, Leo, what do you do with anybody who wins the title? And Paul saying it, it's just like, what do you do? Of course you know what to do. Everybody knows it, but that's that's what he had to say. That's what everybody had to say because this is what they've been doing. And it's not like they didn't have this in the pipe that they weren't going to split the titles last year. And they decided to go again. Things went the way that they went. And okay, I was willing. Don't give it to Sammy. I thought that would have been crazy, even though people went for it. I'm taking this ride. I'm willing to take this ride with you. But I'm also interested to see how you keep me invested as a fan and as a viewer because at some point this thing's going back to cody it's got to go to cody at some point because we've got to get to cody and roman and do you do that through the title the only other way you can do it is him not have the title and then it goes through the royal rumble where he gets to choose and then what do again what do you have out of that title that you've now been defending for a year that he doesn't even want even though he's been on that brand the whole time it's just they i think just did one thing too many having this world title and not concentrating but that's again that's not what they do i'm just interested to see how they keep me invested you have 3 months out of brock i mean you have what you, what you already have done you could even have brock win or you could have some sort of disputed finish or crazy finish in Saudi Arabia, come back with it again where Cody yeah. can stand strong and Brock goes back to Manitoba for a while. So it's like you have some room there and you have some things now that there is going to be a hard brand split, at least for right now, if you're going to be serious about this, where you have some other objects that are going to be thrown in his path. But it'll be interesting to see how you come back around to it with that title and getting back to what everybody is sitting there waiting for, which is Cody and Roman again. And I think with him with that world title on Raw, the thing is, I I will say this, and again, this is, again, my compromise way of thinking, but, you know, it's far. it would be far more harmful for him to get this belt right away, right after losing to Roman. That's where the big harm comes. I don't think it's as harmful, and I think it can be used to build the angle if he gets it later on at some point, wins it from somebody. Because then you could say, you could at least say, okay, I got this thing. This is great, but this isn't the one I really want. Like, I know what I really want. You know, I beat it from so and I I want it from so-and-so. I'm the top guy on Raw, but this isn't what I really want. And then... You can go into Mania yeah. saying it's the Universal Champion versus the World Heavyweight Champion for all the marbles, blah, blah, blah. Even if you you eventually like break them up or whatever you want to do. But at least then it lends more weight, more gravitas, more you know to that rematch that you want to do. I don't have as much of a problem with that as just on because if it happens right now then it comes across like here you go little guy here yeah yeah you know it's the constant and you're already doing that with seth i mean you had seth go out there and go okay you don't want to face me okay fine i'll take this one look right that and that that Uh, enraged me his promo of how excited and thrilled he was to have a chance to what win this belt because he can't face Roman. Like, again, why would you want that? That's such yeah. a cop-out. Why would in the world? Why has no one asked want? the question of why on SmackDown, why did Paul Heyman, since Roman would love to have this belt, but he can't compete for it. Then they did have SmackDown people, and none of them right. are named Uso or Solo that ended up being a part of it. So it's like there's holes you can punch through on this yeah. thing just because of the structure of what it is. 
Yeah, yeah. That's all feeling a little bit like Vince McMahon. And we've talked about that over uh, the last several weeks. But there's these little uh, uh, the hints that are dropped that he is very much back uh, in the mix. And that little thing of this is the Raw title. Only Raw guys will compete for it. Last night, we see the whole second half of the tournament's happening on SmackDown with SmackDown guys. Feels like a Vince kind of uh, audible, and I don't know that it is or, or, or it isn't. Uh, but yeah, I agree with everything you said. Uh, uh, real quick before we, we head on, I do want to talk a bit about uh, uh, AEW. Um, there was, there's was a lot of questions about how many tickets uh, they would sell uh, in, in Wembley, and they sold a crap ton, right? What are they up to? 60,000, something like that. I mean, this place is gonna it's gonna look like a, a WrestleMania. You've got on one hand the AEW haters, uh, both kind of dubious whether it's legit, whether these are bots, whether this yeah, is Tony Khan bought all them all. I mean, we know <laughs> yeah, that, right. He bought all of them. And then I think on the flip side, you have people maybe overselling what this means. This, you know, it shows how big uh, they are. When the reality is, even Impact did some huge buildings in the UK because it's the UK, and and over there, there's kind of a novelty factor uh, over it. So. Um, uh, Mike, wh- what do you think? Uh, what, what do you make of it? What does this say about AW's place in the wrestling landscape that they did as well as they did uh, selling those tickets at Wembley? Some of the the week last week where people were just you know complaining about WWE and backlash and then this and that and then complaining about AEW and it's like at the end of the day there were happy fans. There were happy fans in Puerto Rico that have been entertainment starved and certainly wrestling starved, you know, for quite some time, big time wrestling, even small time wrestling starved. It is tough down there again with the, again, with everything that's going on down there. Yes. You could talk about for a WrestleNomics episode, or if you wanted to look at this from a hard news, like, all right, the subsidies they got and forget about all that. Look at it as a wrestling show. People were thrilled. You were happy as a viewer. Even if you don't like WWE, it was an easy watch. It was so easy. And you got fulfilled out of something. Same thing with AEW. I don't know what aesthetically the building is going to look like, but I know it's going to look good. And I don't know what matches they're going to put in the ring. And from our artistic point of view, it may fail miserably. But you know what? For right now, they went to a place that has been starving for them to show up, and they show up and they take a huge risk. They don't go to Craven College, they do, or Craven Cottage. They don't go small. They go for Wembley, and they have a pre-sale that even if it's being inflated, that it's sixty thousand. You have WrestleNomics saying that fifteen thousand seats have been held back for right now for whatever reason. So you can at least say, okay. Around 75,000 is at least what they're probably looking at for this thing. At the least, it's a huge victory. It's a huge victory for AEW. It's a huge victory for the fans that are over there because it's going to be a no-doubt event. There is no doubt about it. It's going to be a party there. That's great. Again, what they do with it after that fact, that's a different story. Can you look back at toronto and go well they should have ran a different building there when they went sure you could do that you can play 2020 hindsight on any on everything but like this in this case i mean it's a huge big deal and again what they do with it they got months to lead into it and that means months to sell the remainder of those tickets and see what they get and also months to find out what exactly you're going to put in that building that'll really maximize the moments for everybody because again it doesn't have to be per se, the most important match. It's got to be the match that will mean most in that moment over there. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. you know, I would sacrifice a 
Jamie Hayter title defense against somebody on that roster, you know, even a Soraya, you know, because I would use a Julia and build a story around that. I would use Mercedes Monet because you have that money as long as she's willing to put, you know, Jamie Hayter over. And you could type again, you wouldn't I make it the biggest possible thing I can I can make it, you know, not just relying on a Sting retirement or a Goldberg appearance. But but what makes things even more complicated, right, uh, is that we don't even know what the show is, right? For the moment, it's not even a pay-per-view event, right? So, and they've got a pay-per-view event, which is one of their big signature shows a week later. Uh, so, you know, is this their WrestleMania? Uh, and 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 if it is, what does that make all out uh, a week w- later? WBD is going to determine that with whether this thing is streaming on Max or not and whether they have changed Max to the point where it is handling live streaming of video and having video on demand and again they are they seem to to make that want to make that a part of their business we just have to see how they go about doing it by the time we get to september yeah and and that they already sold this this many tickets could it be an incentive for them or or a disincentive to even put on you know a super loaded show because we already sold the tickets so you know do they just load it up with some good matches featuring some local uh, talent I think you can get creative. I just think you get creative. Again, does, what's going to be a bigger deal? The AEW World Championship or Will Ospreay, Kenny Omega 3? Or you know what I'm saying? Or, or 2, whatever it would be at that time. You know, that would be more impactful to me than MJ. Again, look at like MJF against even like Darby Allen. It's going to be, that would be a great match. You could build up MJF against whoever. It'd probably be a great match, but in that moment, does that have to be the thing? You know what I mean? Right. So, I again, I wouldn't put shoehorn Adam Cole and MJF and the blow-off to that. I wouldn't do that at Wembley. I would, again, I would use something else. And, again, be, be creative. Fill both masters because you have the ability to do it. Yeah, That's what's amazed me more than anything with this because uh, the fact that no one even knows who's on the show or what matches. I mean, that's really impressive to me because uh, I remember like we talked about this, Al, that, that you know, we were saying like, well, they got to do Omega versus Punk or something on that level because that's how you're going to fill a stadium like that. And, and you're thinking, well, the rarity of how often they, you know, this is their first time going there and it's a novelty, like they'll do some numbers on that, but they're going to need a strong this or that. It looks like they're not. So, but, but, you know, they were able to do it. That's what's really impressed me. But on the match front, you know, I, I was like what you said, Mike. One thing that surprised me, and I saw Dave tweet about this, and I was surprised because usually he, he is immune to this way of thinking, actually. And, and he's pretty enlightened on it, where everyone was saying how it's got to be Omega Punk or it's got to be Punk doing something like, which, and he said something like, well, did you guys forget MJF is the world champion? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're the guy that taught me that you don't always have to have the world champion in the main event. You want your biggest attraction on top. Yeah. You want the thing that people want to see the most on top. And sometimes that means having to concede the fact that like, well, the world title isn't the most important thing on this show and we don't need to force it. And I think this is a situation where that absolutely is the case. You don't need yeah. to force it. Don't just say, well, MJF is the world champion, so he's in the main event. You know, and you don't case, have no. to do and you don't have to necessarily do something incendiary or possibly incendiary, you know, behind the scenes as opposed like, OK, we got to put punk in Jericho. We got to get. No, you don't. Again, in a situation like this, you could have punk and FTR against 
you know, Cobb O'Connor, again, that's a bad example, but like you can have it where that tense match that everybody's waiting for or those, you don't, you don't have to do it there either. In you fact, really the, don't. O- the only situation <laughs> where I do think that MJF in that main event would be a great match would be if it was punk, if it was MJF right. first, I think, I think that you could do a lot with that. If you want MGF in there, because they, or have, Osprey. A, they have a history and uh, you know, there's something you could build on of, and, and the yeah. notion that it was supposed to be, Punk passing the torch to him instead of Moxley, essentially yeah. before he, you know, left the company there or walked away from it. So I mean, it's got to be right, is what I'm saying. It can't just be because he's the world champion. It's got to be right. To me, what really screws things up is that all out show uh, a week later. Do we know that that's got, happening? Is well, that... it, isn't it? Because I I don't know if 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 it is not, then I think the thing to do is to load up this show as much as you can. Um, and I disagree. I, I I know that there's a thought like, you know, you put a Will Ospreay in a key position over there because because he's great and, and because he's sort of local. But I think as we've seen, you know, whenever um, a, a company goes into a, a different country, the temptation is to kind of localize the show. And what people want is the product, right? They they want the stars of AW. And, and beyond that, I wonder how much of these fans are even um, real AEW fans and are not just sort of like wrestling fans, WWE fans who want to go see a big show in in, in Webley Stadium. I think you put Will Ospreay out there. They might be, meh. I mean, this is all to say, I think a Punk, uh, uh, a Chris Jericho, Sting. I mean, I think these are the guys who need to to be in key positions uh, on the show. And I think you load the hell out of it. Um, assuming well, that's the thing is there's going to be out. so many, there's going to be a bunch of key positions. And even if there is an all out, you can still have a bunch of people there in key positions on the show. Because again, I mean, look, you'd have to, if it would be MJF and Will Ospreay, you'd have to beat MJF. And I don't think you necessarily want to do that, depending on, you could tell that story, you could tie in an Adam Cole to it or something like that. But to me, I don't want to beat MJF unless I absolutely have to. So then that leaves you with Ospreay and Omega. And you got to look and see, Look at the pre-sale. Even, again, even if there are scalpers and there are, even if there's bots and surely there's a percentage of them, even if there are people that are just buying it because they heard it's going to be a big wrestling event. Like, they're going to be, like, every single bit of their fan base that would be invested are already buying tickets or have already bought tickets to this show. Right. And they're going to scoop up the rest of them where, you can serve easily both masters by having a bunch of baby again and using again. What is Jamie Hader a big of as big of a star as Britt Baker here? Not no. I, you know, again, they're very close and everything. The unit is fantastic together. But like, of course, you can go ahead and have that big match, which may, again may not on the surface may not be a big deal. But who are you going to bring in? You are you have Sting's retirement likely taking place there. Other than that, who else can you bring in for like from the past? I mean, they don't have anybody they can bring in. And if somebody's going to this cold who's just like, you know, the straight down the road wrestling fan, like, I don't know what to tell you. Because if you don't know a name like an Omega at this point, or you don't know again an Osprey or those names, what are you even going to this show for in that case? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, and, and really, I do think a lot of so much, so much of it gets down to whether there's an all out or not. I mean, that changes your entire booking philosophy because by necessity, you've got to hold something back. Right. You you, you can't 
uh, put on your 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 best effort um, in all in because you got another show that you're selling pay per views that you know that's just in the terms thing. of revenue. Yeah, you're going to ask somebody to come off whatever. Let's say fifteen bucks. I don't know what what max is 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 right now, but like okay, it's going to be X price to have that. And then you're going to have the next week. Okay, what's what are we at right now? Fifty nine ninety nine. I don't know. I got I so, so yeah. thrown off with the Tank Davis fight. Ended up being eighty nine ninety nine. They're up to that point in boxing now. Where if it's we can sell a, anything, it's going to be ninety bucks. It's yeah. half a year of Peacock to watch one AEW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. So we will see. Anyway, we've been talking for a while here, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I could I could do this all day. Obviously. Uh, uh, Mike, we talked a lot about uh, your different projects, so why don't you go ahead and promote the, how can people follow what all the things you're doing? Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at SemperVivi. I've tried to not use that as much, although Twitter's the only thing I've ever actually found that has been useful, and I've been able to like enough because I can just mute and block people and keep it moving, but I've been trying to use Instagram more, so you can follow me there too, at SemperVivi, and I would really like it if you followed the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast, which you can do at Mid-Atlantic Pod, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. I've been really increasing what's been going on on Facebook and Instagram a lot more and putting up things there. It's just, it's my passion. Jim Crockett Promotions, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. I came around in the dusty era, but I was just a fan of the history of the entire product. I love it to death. And I get to go out there and, you know, keep some of that history alive by posting pictures, posting articles, telling people about wrestlers from the past, telling people about guys like, you know, Dick Bourne and Mike Mooneyham and other folks like that who are out there, you know, doing articles and have and have websites out there just trying to, you know, build them up as well, too. And, you know, just celebrate Jim Crockett Promotions and Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, because a lot of what we talked about today, you know, has got its its roots right back to there, you know. Big fan of Steamboat and Youngblood against Carnoodle and, and Slaughter. And, you know, what did the the road to Greensboro give us? It, you know, it gave us, you know, the idea for Starcade. It helped, you know, you know, you know, do that. And FTR talks about, you know, again, you go back to the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, the tag team, you know, the tag teams that we know today were nurtured and began and all their influences go back to what took place in Jim Crockett promotions. And if you're a fan of, of Patreon and, and kicking out a couple bucks, $5 gets you in the door at patreon.com slash midatlantic podcast, where I'm able to do longer form articles for the first time. You know, I haven't done that in forever. So I'm actually able to write at length about you know these things that I talk about on the podcast the only thing I can do is 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 point to to Mr. Solomon when I say you know because I have not released the tag team uh story of Jim Crockett promotions and the history of tag team wrestling and how we got to you know the road to Greensboro I did a long form on that which I think was very again very insightful and Really important if you want to go back for anybody that's interested in the history of pro wrestling to go back and have a guide as to, again, just facts that happened. And it, it to me, it's a great reference tool. And I've tried to do some unique things like that over there. So patreon.com slash midatlantic podcast. You don't want to pay for anything. You just want to hear me talk for free about modern wrestling. Of course, you can do that at wrestlingobserver.com, figure4online.com, where you can sign up and hear Wrestling Observer Live, get all the archives of that show. We're live every single day. If you have TuneIn uh, on the TuneIn app, or uh, it's a, it's available in a zillion places for free, free uh, streaming on Twitch and YouTube every day, 3 p.m. Eastern time, Wrestling Observer Live. And then 
also the Admin Mike Big Audio Nightmare that has been focused on talking about Japanese wrestling and the Japanese scene now for a long, long time, uh, since 2006. It came out of the old Paresu Power Hour radio show where we talked a lot of K1 and Pride and, you know, everything that was taking place in Japan. It was a it's a spiritual successor of that where me and my friend Adam Summers talk about what's going on in Japanese wrestling, a heavy focus on the bigger companies, New Japan, uh, All Japan, Noah Stardom, uh, to a lesser extent, Dragon Gate, but mostly focused on those uh, those promotions. So if you're looking for, you know, the original, the original podcast talking about Japanese professional wrestling, it was the Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare and Another Patreon thing that I do for the guys over at BlackWrestling.com, Bulls in a China Shop, myself and Vin Forte. And Cal Davenport helped set this up uh, over at the, the Ringer. Uh, him and, and Fam and, and Math and Mimi and Drip and everybody over at BlackWrestling.com, we do that for Patreon members. You can either pay the one or pay the ten. They would uh, like you to pay the ten, of course. But you can check that out as well, too. So I think that's everything I'm doing right now. Oh, yeah. And the wrestling news every single day, seven days a week. No clickbait, no paywall, just the wrestling news. <laughs> how, how many more podcasts do you have to record today? Two. <laughs> Two more in addition to this. At least, yeah. Well, Wrestling Observer Live, for sure. sure. I'm doing a script right now on, that I've become very obsessive compulsive on. On the next, uh, the, the newest edition of the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast will be out for free for subscribers uh, on your RSS feeds or if you go to midatlanticpod.com. Uh, but I'm also now working on uh, one for March 5th, 1982. This show is not available on the network, and it's one of those few shows that I don't have a, a DVD of, and I was going to skip it. And then I got the idea to kind of talk about where we're at in the in the scene and 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 where we're at at this point in 1983. And I decided to go ahead and make a show out of it by becoming very obsessive and and writing up a big article on where the wrestling scene was then. So, you know, I got that going on and I think I have one other thing to do, too, but I got double check. But, yeah, I just I, I try to stay moving on this stuff because, you know, what else right. am I going to do? Great. Excellent. Good. <laughs> Whatever allows you to keep your pants off, right? <laughs> That's exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and Brian, there's some overlap there. You with the wrestling news. Uh, and what else do you have you got going on? Yeah. And, and first I do want, I want to say also that, that Mike's long, long form writing, the stuff that he's doing there for mid Atlantic is tremendous. I loved the piece that he's talking about, about the history of, of tag team wrestling in the Crockett area, because like that's a pet peeve of mine when people act like, you know, tag team or, or that the Crockett promotion in general basically started with Starcade. And, and Mike goes back to the 60s talking about the God, I think even before that, talking about yeah. the great tag teams of that scene in that area in the 50s and 60s and how it was a tag team territory into the 70s. So I, I second that. But what I want to talk about for, for me this time, because I'm on here every week plugging stuff. So this time, I actually want to mention something that's not wrestling related, if I may. I know we talked about it before, but my superheroes book is officially out. Right. And so I wanted to mention that it's called Superheroes, the History of a Pop Culture Phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. And I pushed for that title. They were like, is Zorro a superhero? I'm like, yes, <laughs> he is. If you don't believe me, read the book. So it's it's the history of superhero fiction. In general, so it's more it's more than just a history of comics, like that's part of it, that's a big part of it, but it gets into what what pre-comics the idea superhero fiction, it gets into what I call the post-comics era, because today 
whether we like it or not, the, the primary home of superheroes is movies. Yep. So we talk about, I to, we, what am I like, King Charles? I talk about <laughs> the history of superheroes and comic books at length. It's available everywhere, Amazon, wherever you get books. People are always like, where can I get this book? Well, wherever you get books. I don't know. Wherever you buy books, it's where it is. Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Go online. It's I can there. say it's at a Barnes and Noble. I saw both that and Blood and Fire in one this past weekend in Salisbury, Maryland. Yes, I did. All right, you should have taken a picture because I I went onto the Barnes and Noble website to figure out which physical stores were carrying it, and none of the ones near me in reasonable distance of me have it in the store. I think the closest one is like in New York State. Figures. So, <laughs> so yeah, because I'm in Connecticut, but I would love to see that to see them together on the shelf. That was my goal. But but yeah, I'm hoping because there's a lot of overlap, I think, between comic books and wrestling. It's like peanut butter and jelly, I always say. So I hope that people listening to this who are fans of comics and superheroes will buy that book. Great. You see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy yet, the new one? I did. Yes. I loved it. I mean, yeah. nothing Marvel's done in years. It's the it's the best thing. It's one of it's been maybe the best phase four thing. I enjoyed it. That's not I, saying a whole lot. <laughs> I know. I will say, like, it wasn't on the same level as the first two for me, especially like, I really thought like that first one was an absolute game changer. It was yep. like a sea change. It was almost like the star Wars event of its time. It was magnificent, wonderful, just totally changed the way they even make these kind of movies across the board. Um, this one was fun and enjoyable. I thought it had the best villain of all the guardians movies, but um I wouldn't quite put it on the same level. I, I thought even even soundtrack wise, like I for me, yeah, like the soundtrack is the best thing. This, yeah, it was a little more newer stuff. I like the like. Well, 80s he's got an iPod vibe. now, <laughs> right? And and it was more like you know the best uh, tr thing for me was No Sleep Till Brooklyn. That was like the moment in the movie music yeah. wise for me, I like Space Hog. But a lot of it was just yeah. like. <laughs> I'm turning to my wife. I'm like, am I old? Like, I don't even know what what song is this. Yeah. What do I, you know? But but I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, really good. Check it out. All right, guys. Thank you so much for doing this, uh, Mike. Uh, you in particular, thank you so much. Hope we are able to have you back on uh, again sometime in the future. Uh, everybody else, we will see you soon.